listening to Radio Sega, and this is the Sega Lounge. Sit back, have a drink, and enjoy the conversation. And now, here are tonight's hosts, KC and SSF1991. You're listening to Radio Sega playing the best Sega music 24-7. And now, this is the Sega Lounge. Hello everyone, I'm KC and uh, I should have been joined by Donnie. Uh, SSF 1991 but unfortunately he couldn't make it this week so it's just going to be me and our very special guest yes this is another episode of the Sega Lounge uh, which you should know by now is Radio Sega's own talk show with a twist because it's it's done our way of course there's music there's uh, an awesome uh, interview with special guests and also a challenge for the guests Who is tonight's special guest? Well, it's none other than producer of Sonic Boom, Stephen Frost from Sega of America. And we'll be uh, jumping into the interview that was recorded um, a bit uh, earlier today uh, with Stephen in a few. But of course, if you know uh, the Sega Lounge by now, we always do our news roundup of sorts. And it's called Donnie's News Corner. But since there's no Donnie, Maybe we have a KC's News Corner? Probably. Well, there's not much uh, that we want to talk about this week. Um, apart from, of course, uh, the Sonic Boom uh, being... Uh, the Sonic Boom games being released in Japan, perhaps. So, apparently, the latest issue of Famitsu um, re revealed that Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric and Shattered Crystals, so both the Wii U and 3DS games, will be released in Japan, uh, but instead of uh, being called Sonic Boom, they will be renamed Sonic Toon, and will be released in winter 2014. Hmm, interesting. Uh, so there's, there's that. We actually talk about that with Steven uh, during the interview, so stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, that's the biggest piece of news, I think, from this week. Uh, also, though, uh, in regards to Radio Sega News, we've been uh, asking people to send them, send us our um, their uh, messages for Sonic, for Sonic's birthday on the 23rd, that's next Monday. So, if you want to be a part of Radio Sega and be on uh, our 24-7 stream on, uh, on the 23rd of June, why don't you record your messages for Sonic? You can uh, record it record them in English or in your native language. For example, people have been asking us on Twitter for several languages and yes, you can record messages in Portuguese, of course. Of course you can record messages in Portuguese, in German, in Spanish, in whatever language you want. Um, of course, if you know how to speak English, you can uh, record the two messages, one in English and the other one in your native language. So, if you want to send me an email to kc at radiosega.net, that's kc at radiosega.net. Yes. Um, and we'll play um, all day long, play the messages all day long on Monday, the 23rd of June. 
Of course, if you want to uh, listen to your messages, you'll have to tune into Radio Sega on Monday, and you'll have to send them the, uh, send me the messages by this Saturday, the 21st of June. Otherwise, I won't be able to um, get them ready for uh, to be played on the 24/7 stream on Monday. Yeah, so there's that, and I hope. To, uh, we hope, actually, at Radio Sega to have lots and lots of different messages. I hear there's a rap coming in uh, everything, so hmm, there's some exciting uh, things coming our way in regards to Sonic's birthday. Sonic's 23rd on the 23rd of June, of course. Yep. So that's about it for the news uh, this week on uh, the Sega Lounge. So as, uh, as per usual, We'll now have our first music break of the evening. Uh, this week we asked Stephen Frost, our special guest, to pick some songs to be played on the Sega Lounge. And he asked for um, music from Sonic Adventure and Sonic Heroes. So, uh, the first two tracks that we'll be playing uh, before we jump into the interview with Steven are Skydeck Go-Go from Sonic Adventure and Team Chaotix from Sonic Heroes. You're listening to the Sega Lounge when we get back We'll be chatting with Stephen Frost.
So, uh, welcome back, everyone. We're listening, or you're listening to the Sega Lounge on RadioSega.net, playing the best Sega music 24-7. And you just heard uh, the first two tracks, uh, our first music break. We had Skydeck Go-Go from Sonic Adventure and Team Chaotix from Sonic Heroes. Uh, and, uh, of course, if, you, if you've been listening to past episodes of the Sega Lounge, you'll know that uh, the music we play is picked by our guests. And this week we're joined by a very special guest from Sega of America. We have with us Mr. Stephen Frost. Hello, Stephen. Hi, how are you doing? Hello, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure. Oh, yeah, no, my pleasure. I'm, I'm so glad, you know, I'm always glad to do um, these sort of uh, interviews and talks, and so I'm just glad when I have time to do it. Awesome, awesome. Uh, yeah, so uh, actually this week uh, I picked the songs, although you uh, told me you'd like to have something from Sonic Adventure and Sonic Heroes, uh, I picked the songs, but why Adventure and Heroes, by the way? Um, I, you know, I just liked uh, elements of those games. Uh, for me, um, especially Sonic Adventure, I have a lot of fond uh, memories of Sonic Adventure when I was uh, younger. Um, and, you know, as, as people compared, I think people have seen elements of both games in, in Sonic Boom, so I thought it was, uh, uh, you know, appropriate. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, okay, Steve, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself for those uh, that are listening to us and don't know who you are, those uh, two or three people who are living under the rock? <laughs> <laughs> um, sure, no problem. Uh, like, uh, like I said earlier, my name is Stephen Frost. I'm a producer at, at Sega, uh, Sega of America specifically, uh, situated here in, in sunny San Francisco, California. Um, I've been at Sega for probably, yeesh, how long has it been now? Uh, probably almost eight years. Um, so it's been a little while. Um, it's a relatively long time, I guess, to, to stay at a single company. Uh, you know, this industry, a lot of people um, move around. Um, but I managed to hang my hat here um, for a fair bit. Um, you know, I started originally um, sort of back in, in the college days. I lived in Oregon. I went to the University of Oregon. And... Um, I started in sort of game development and QA at a company called Dynamics, which was a studio that was owned by a, a company called Sierra, which did uh, a lot of PC games like King's Quest and Police Quest and Tribes and things like, like that back in the day. Yeah, I'm sorry? The, the Caesar series. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think Caesar, actually. Yeah, so they had, they had a variety of, uh, of titles. Um, and of course, the biggest ones were their sort of this graphic adventure things, like I said, like King's Quest and stuff. And um, yeah. um, I worked at uh, a studio that was uh, responsible for Red Baron and actually Tribes. Uh, for those who like Tribes, it was the studio that originally started the Tribes genre. Um, so I started there in QA, and it was just PC gaming. It wasn't uh, they weren't doing any console stuff. Um, but I learned a lot uh, going through QA and just learning how games were made um, and um, sort of understanding the, the roles of different people on the development teams and started contributing more because sort of back then we were a very closely knit uh, group. Um, you know, QA was very integrated with uh, development teams and so I would just always talk to like, you know, the game designers and the engineers and just trying to learn as much as I could. Um, and I started participating and being more involved in the games, doing a bit of uh, puzzle level design and, and then eventually doing some production stuff. Um, you know, at that time though, there weren't that many um, game development uh, studios in Oregon. Um, there was basically Dynamics and there was also maybe Trilobite um, at the time which did um, the seventh guest uh, games uh, back in the day as well. So um, uh, I knew that I had to get out of Oregon 
and um, I had to, uh, <laughs> Aaron Weber is staring at me through this glass window. Um, <laughs> sorry. For those who know Aaron, he's always following me around. Um, and uh, <laughs> he's and, your uh, tails to your Sonic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's he's a good guy. I love him to death. That uh, he's so funny. He just shows up at random places. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I knew I had to sort of get out of uh, Oregon if I wanted to kind of continue my um, game development career. Uh, if I were to expand out more. And so um, I had a couple of choices. I thought, well, you know what? I should probably get to California. It seemed like California was the, the big mecca of game development in some ways, and there's a lot of different companies. Um, the problem, of course, is that being out of state, it's really hard to get people to try to interview you or be interested in hiring you, um, you know, when you're out of state, unless you're yeah. willing to fly down constantly for interviews and stuff like that. Um, so at the same time, I was applying. I did do some interviews. Um, but uh, um, I eventually uh, applied at a company called Imagine Media, um, which in the heyday was actually sort of the precursor of the company that started up IGN.com uh, and also a lot of the um, magazines like Next Generation Magazine, Ultra Game Players, and things like that. So it's a big um, sort of magazine and website company. Um, and through persistence, I eventually ended up there being... Um, a webmaster because I did a lot of website design and, and sort of back uh, end stuff uh, on my own and learned it. So I ended up at, ironically, at Imagine Media um, working on sites like Ultra Game Players and, and, and Saturn uh, website and PSX Power and things like that. And it wasn't all connected. Um, but my one of my earlier tasks um, was to try to connect it all. And that would be sort of the early days of the foundation for what would become IGN for those who know IGN. Um, now, which has grown up big uh, as far as a large network. It used to be back then just called the Imagine Games Network, which is what IGN stands for. So yeah. if people are wondering what IGN stands for, <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we were also starting up a, um, a PlayStation magazine. Um, so the editor-in-chief of Ultra Game Players was starting up a PlayStation magazine. And um, I had been doing a, a bit of freelance writing um, for reviews and stuff. And they liked it. Uh, they liked what I wrote. And so they asked me if I wanted to sort of join the, uh, the PlayStation magazine, which is called PSM. And um, so I jumped at the chance, and I helped to, to co-start the, uh, the PlayStation magazine and you know, worked on that for, gosh, like, like seven or eight years, just kind of building up, building up, building up. It eventually became the number one PlayStation magazine in the world, which was really exciting for us. Um, awesome. You know, it was a fun, yeah, it was a fun place to work. But I knew all that time that I wanted to get back and gave to Melon. So that was the reason why I came to, to California in the first place was to get back into game development. So I came to that realization again at one point and uh, eventually left um, uh, Imagine and, and PSM to go work at EA. And so, um, uh, you know, again, another situation where I was able to learn a lot. I worked on uh, a variety of games, including RTS titles. Um, I worked on Tithe, Tasmanian Tiger. Um, I worked on Oddworld Stranger's Wrath, which is probably my last title that I worked on there for those nice. who like the Oddworld games. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, um, and then jumped to the chance to go over to Activision to sort of work on the early stages of what would become the Wolverine game. Because um, I'm a big comic book fan, superhero fan, and this was sort of just the, the starting of the boom again, right, of the, uh, the comic book movies. Uh, and uh, X-Men had come out, and there was a lot of sort of, um, sort of uh, excitement about superheroes. And me loving that, I wanted to get into a, uh, and try to work on a high-quality uh, comic-slash-superhero kind of game. And so um, Activision, I started on um, uh, the Wolverine title and worked on that for a while, and then eventually um, moved on and ended up at Sega. And that's where I am today. Nice. So, uh, it's been eight years, has it, since yeah. you joined Sega? 
Yeah, it's about seven and a half, eight years, yeah. Okay, nice, awesome. So were you a Sega fan prior to getting a job at the company? Um, yes, I was, and actually the funny story about that is um, while I was during the day doing the PlayStation magazine, uh, you know, a group of us were huge Sega fans. So during the nights, I actually helped to create a, a website um, called Dreamcast uh, Life. And um, so we would do PlayStation you know, stuff in the day, but, but doing Dreamcast stuff at night. And I used to go to Japan a lot for the PlayStation magazine. And so we would go to like the old days of the Sega New Challenge conferences, record footage, and, and just buy tons of Dreamcast related stuff um, and bring it back and, and report on it. So yeah, I, we were, uh, especially during the Dreamcast era, I was a huge fan. I, the only uh, fact that I've ever written uh, in my life was for the Godzilla VMU game um, that oh, launched with yeah. the Dreamcast. Yeah, it's still on GameFAQs.com. Um, it's the only fact that I've ever, ever written, but I was so just <laughs> obsessed uh, with Godzilla and that game. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to write a guide for it. So, um, so yeah, I was really – I mean, I've always been a, a huge Sega fan in the early days for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, especially on the Dreamcast days uh, when it launched, you know, going to Japan and, and, and being there for the launch, just being excited about every successive game, you know, Uh, even buying like Pen Pen Triathlon and Godzilla <laughs> and you know Sega Rally and then of course the big one which is Sonic Adventure. So um, I've told this story before, but um, uh, the Sonic Adventure was gonna, was coming out around December in Japan, uh, the year the Dreamcast came out, and um, I was so excited. So I pre-ordered it uh, through an uh, importer, um, and then I also just in case I, I knew a friend in Japan who was going to get it for me as well, um, and I flew up from California to Oregon um, to um, for vacation to visit my family and I didn't know which location I was going to be at by the time the game arrived so I had one copy sent to Oregon and one copy sent to my house in, <laughs> in California just in case that's um, dedication it is I was really super excited about Sonic Adventure I was just so just salivating at the chance to play it. and so uh, eventually I was in Oregon uh, just counting the days and eventually the, the guy the mail showed up and his game was in there and then for the remainder of my vacation in Oregon I just sat there and played Sonic Adventure the Japanese version of Sonic Adventure um And uh, yeah, and that was that's why I have such a fondness for Sonic Adventure. It was such a great time, sort of my life. A lot of excitement about the Dreamcast, and just sort of that transition for Sonic um, in that way um, to sort of this established kind of 3D. I mean, he's been sort of that a little bit before, but really a 3D kind of game, um, yeah, you know, was yeah. super exciting. It was super exciting for me. So that's always inspired me. Yeah, that that's actually how I remember uh, Sonic Adventure and the Dreamcast. Uh, it, it, it happened during a special uh, time in my life. I, uh, the Dreamcast was actually the first console that I uh, bought with my own money. And oh wow! Sonic Adventure came with it, so yeah, e exciting. And uh, I remember Sonic Adventure fondly, uh, mainly because of that. Also because I love the game, but mainly because of that time in my life, that specific time in my life. So yeah, awesome memories. And uh, yeah, yeah for sure. we. Uh, Is the Dreamcast Life um, website still up? Anywhere? Oh no, we we, we took it down a long time ago. Yeah, um, we had a, a run on it, but we ended up like you know all sort of like in our own ways leaving. And I went over to EA and stuff like that. And um, at you know at the tail end of the Dreamcast's life cycle, um, so it was uh, bittersweet. But we ended up just kind of like closing it down. But it was definitely a fun time. You know, just like two or three of us. Uh, hobbling together at night times, sort of uploading videos, sharing videos, and writing stuff. So, um, you know, good times, but no, it's no longer <laughs> around, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, since you were a Sega fan before, 
actually working for, for Sega, uh, was working at the company anything like you imagined in the past? Uh, were there surprises? Any shocks? Anything? Um, you, you know, I wouldn't say there were uh, super surprises. Um, I mean, I guess the, the biggest thing um, that's sort of unique, obviously, not unique to Sega, but just some of these companies, is that, it, you know, is the, is the Japanese influence, right? You know, even though uh, Sega started a sort of American-owned kind of situation, um, it's pretty much it's a Japanese-run sort of company now. And, um, you know, the people who work at Capcom and the people who work at Namco, Bandai, and things like can attest, you know, it's like a, it's sort of a different kind of feel and a sort of different culture than... Um, what would be then from like an electronic arts or an Activision per se, you know, and um, and I'm not saying that in a bad way or a good way. It's just sort of very different, right? Uh, just like how um, the structure of everything is, the, the meetings, sort of like the internal um, business practices and how things go through sort of the process uh, within the company is very sort of unique, I think, to uh, Japanese-driven companies versus uh, sort of U.S. Driven company, so that was sort of the biggest thing for me because I had I had um, mostly worked at uh, American-run, sort of American-established companies, right? U.S.-established companies, and um, for the most part, and um, so Sega was uh, interesting in that regard. But I think when I came to Sega, what was amazing about it, and um, I, and, I, and I and I don't say this to sort of uh, against uh, a lot of other companies because they're big, but like just the sheer number of people when I started Sega who were like were really into games, who really played games. Um, was immense. You know, there's a large number of people, especially back in the day, who all we talked about, even when we weren't working, was about games and, and different companies and what sort of types of games. And, um, you know, that's sort of a hit or miss situation with other companies. You can have people who are really um, hardcore, really interested in games, and other people who are sort of just sort of on the fence, or maybe it's just their job, you know? Yeah. Um, but for Sega, really, across the board, um, when I joined, it was just like, wow, like all these people are just really hardcore gamers. They're really interested in a broad diversity of, of game types. Um, and um, I think just being a Japanese company, also seeing sort of the niche type of games that come out of Japan, a lot of people were interested in that stuff. So we're always trying to find like crazy new games or unique one-off titles that we could share with each other. Um, so, yeah, I think that was most exciting. And really, when I joined Sega, I was really surprised by that and just really excited about all the energy um, and excitement about games in general. Awesome, awesome. So what was the first game you worked on at Sega? Uh, um, it came in, actually, wasn't the one I started with. Um, what I ended up uh, starting with, because I was handed it to finish, was um, the, Sega, the first Sega Genesis collection for PSP and PS2. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it was our first attempt, our first real attempt in a while to like collect like a bunch of all the Sega Genesis games and try to have like interviews and factoids and behind the scenes and sort of be like a love letter for fans of the Genesis. Um, so you know, it was uh, it was a bit of a challenging just from the standpoint of figuring out you know who owns the rights to the music, who owns the rights to the games, uh, you know, across the board. Like, who do we need to get approvals from? Who's still at Sega that we can talk to about doing interviews and stuff? Um, yeah. So from a nostalgia nostalgia perspective, or from a like classical um, Sega early days fan, it was really exciting project to work on, and just being able to deliver tons and tons of Genesis games, um, you know, accurately reproduced as best as possible. I think we did a pretty good job at accurately reproducing them um, for um, the PSP and PS2, and also doing sort of a ad hoc sort of um, multiplayer with the PSP was really exciting. 
Yeah, so being yeah. able to play Streets of Rage and all those games, two players with two PSPs was really, really, really neat. And so um, that was a great way to just start off my you know career at Sega was working on some of the games that helped to build the foundation for Sega, right? Um, yeah. So, um, so that was really uh, that was really exciting. And then, I, and then the next game I worked on because I had experienced PSP was doing Crazy Taxi, which was another example of taking an established kind of game um, and adding some stuff. So we took Crazy Taxi one and two, and we were tasked with the challenge of of adding multiplayer components to it, um, which was which was interesting. Um, so we had to do be a little creative in that regard. You know, these were two games that were designed to be single player experiences. Um, you know, what could we do to try to to a convert them to make them portable experiences, and B also um, add new modes that would encourage multiplayer. Um, so that was uh, yeah. So that was another you know transition. So working in classic games in Sega Genesis Collection, then this one taking a classic game and trying to modernize it um, sort of a bit. Um, and then since then, I've worked on myriad tiles like uh, Universe at War, which was sort of our uh, console PC RTS. Um, that was an exciting game uh, because it was sort of the first time. Uh, it was a tough job to try to get um, crossplay between PC and consoles. So it was an Xbox, Xbox 360, and um, PC, and no one had really done that. The only only person who had done crossplay between console and PC at that time was. Um, Microsoft and they had done it for Shadowrun and it was that was like sort of a, a different kind of scenario. We were doing sort of you know real time console to PC gaming and having design um, it so that it was properly balanced between keyboard and mouse and controller. So um, that was a really tough sort of project, but I was really excited to be some of the first people to be able to do that um, in general and have a console to PC versus gaming. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's one of those. I didn't uh, lower... know it was one of the first games that had that feature. Yeah, it was definitely one of the first, uh, and it was really exciting for Microsoft that we were trying that. Um, there's a reason, obviously, that you don't see any games or any other games that do that because it's so difficult to do. Um, as far as like having the two talk to each other and then still having the. Um, you know the, the the lag times reduced enough, and 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 both sides understanding enough so that you can play a competitive you know RTS game without uh, too many issues back and forth. So yeah, it was yeah. it was tough, but it was rewarding in, in getting it done. Um, and then sort of since then, uh, you know, other titles I've worked on some of the the, the Marvel titles. Uh, uh, Thor, for example, was probably I think the last one that I worked on. Um, the, the especially the the, the Wii version of Thor which uh, I thought turned out really well um, and then before I got into Sonic Boom I did the um, the new Shinobi game for 3DS which again was taking sort of a classic awesome um, game Awesome game. Yeah, thank you, thank you. A classic really hard, IP. Though. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was. It was. De it's definitely hard, um, deliberately for sure. It's sort of a trying to push you to to become better and become a ninja master in many ways. But um, that was a, another you know classic attempt of like taking an original IP or, or an older IP and sort of trying to modernize it uh, for a new audience or sort of the new hardware. Um, yeah. And then sort of shortly after that, I, I kind of bounced onto the early starts of uh, Sonic Boom. Okay, awesome. So uh, you mentioned you're uh, you're the producer uh, of Sonic Boom, so you're a video game producer, right? Uh, yes. So what we all want to know right now is is what exactly does a video games producer actually do? <laughs> What's your sure? Job? <laughs> That's a very good question. I get asked a lot, and you know, quite honestly, it's very different on depending on which 
company you work for, if you're working for a publisher yeah, or a studio. Uh, yeah, exactly. As with a lot of other positions. Um, generally, though, um, if you're talking sort of the core principles of a producer is it's more of a schedule-driven sort of position. Um, it's to sort of make sure that um, whatever aspect of the game that you're working on, like if you're working in a studio and maybe you're handling, um, you're working in the animation group and you're a producer on the animation group, um, making sure that animations are tracked to a schedule or being done on time to the desired quality level and being handed off to the other groups in a timely manner so that there's no um, delays um, which cause, you know, which ripple effect and cause other delays. So as a producer, you're generally responsible for schedule, quality, um, you know, basically making sure that whatever you're responsible for is hitting the dates that it needs to within the budget um, at a certain quality level. So as a as a core, that's what that is. Um, in in Sega's perspective, um, because of the design of it, um, you're you're allowed to wear a lot of different hats. And so, um, especially in the early days of Sonic Boom, when we were talking to um, the or working with the animation group, and they were starting to build sort of the foundation of what they wanted the cartoon to be. Um, I was able to not only just work on the game, but also work very closely with the animation teams and the writers to kind of help establish what the Sonic Boom world was. Um, and so that would that would be everything from like helping to contribute to what um, something simple like um, if you've seen the um, the uh, Sonic Boom cartoons, you'll see that there's a sort of a wrist communicator that Sonic wears on his wrist. Um, so even like, you know, kind of giving feedback and approvals for the designs of that, um, I was a part of um, back in the early days. So very little, all the very little details, um, how the characters looked, um, what the world would look like, um, what, you know, how the characters would act. Um, all those components I was uh, I played a role in had a lot of meanings to discuss because they are very crucial that we establish a very consistent foundation um, that everyone agreed with so that when the cartoon and the game kind of go off and start building their stuff that everything is very consistent um, and not you know um, uh, very different from each other yeah so um, so from a production standpoint from that it was really like getting the game uh, the ideas behind the game and the animation um, to a state where everyone sort of agreed upon, um, you know, uh, signing off on uh, artwork and uh, design ideas and character designs and sort of story stuff. So I gave feedback, a lot of feedback uh, to a lot of that stuff, which is not something um, producers generally do. Producers generally do, depending again on which company, aren't really big on like uh, providing design or feedback in that regard. Um, they can, but it's not generally a role, a key role of a uh, producer. Um, so, um, so we may say you're a super producer. Uh, no, I just, I just say I'm just, uh, yeah, no, no, no. There's, there, I've met super producers and they are amazing. But no, I'm just a producer who gets a chance to wear many hats. And a lot of, uh, and basically all the producers at Sega um, get to wear many hats. And I think that's the sort of a, a cool thing about Sega. You get to have your um, fingers in a lot of different areas and you get to learn a lot. Um, you obviously get a lot more responsibility and a lot of more uh, stress and headaches. But, um, you know, I think the uh, amount of knowledge you learn and what you're able to do is, is worth it in that regard. Um, so uh, that was the start and then we were also in pre-production of the game and what we do in the pre-production of the game is really trying to establish what is this game going to be um, and you basically are working towards you know a prototype and a vertical slice 
that represents like so basically a level that represents what the final game is going to be um for the for the early days of the game um it was very interesting because we tried out so many different things you know we we had a general idea of what we wanted this game to be um but there's so many roads to get there so um we we worked on a lot of different prototypes and a lot of ideas and threw a lot of ideas away um we had different mechanics in there we had different focuses different art styles um a, a myriad of different things that we went through um so during those early days it was all about that kind of like chiseling away you know you got a big block of marble and you're trying to chisel away at everything to see what what the true game is going to be um and then you know after we get into production you know I'm again just I I sort of moved away from the cartoon stuff um uh, more so because they were handling it well and and they has they had a team for that now and all the stuff so um I got less on the cartoon and now focused on the games and sort of establishing again uh what are we building here you know what's our schedule what's our quality level um and and kind of going from there um so from a day-to-day basis um that's what it now boils down to is just making sure that we hit um our dates as far as what we need to to release this game um that we maintain the a quality level that we have been aiming for and um you know and just sort of being able to provide feedback to everyone in the teams as well as to areas that we feel that we can improve like you know we get feedback from a myriad of people people within Sega people at you know E3 or people at other places um uh, play tests and stuff and how can we um integrate um that feedback and improve the game without derailing things um so um you know in a nutshell that's sort of what i do uh, on a producer side it it encompasses many many different things you know interviews like this or feedback or you know submitting paperwork for uh a submission for something so it, it encompasses a lot of stuff but i'm really responsible for the game um and making sure that uh we hit all our targets basically awesome awesome yeah i think you've um really explained a lot about your your job at Sega and i think uh, this is where what we call Sega education on the show uh, we educate <laughs> people about Sega so i think this is a good example of Sega education here on the Sega launch so thank you very much for that sir <laughs> Oh no problem for sure it's uh, it, it's always you know it's it's always a, a tough thing in this industry the titles you know change and change but um you know it's uh um at least that's from a Sega perspective is what we kind of try to do Yeah yeah Okay so we'll uh, talk about Sonic Boom in the in a bit but uh let's uh, stay on a, a more personal level for now uh what's your favorite Sega console Um Sega console easily is the Saturn. I really like the Saturn. Um I continuously um try to buy Saturn games um when I can when I find them at good prices. Um you know, I have several different Saturns um and uh you know, it's an interesting reason. I mean, I guess the reason why I like it is a because the you know, the architecture is very kind of unique and it took a, a talented group of, you know, uh developers to really get a lot out of the hardware. um and it was also sort of like that sort of transition to 3D right it was a bit rough but it was sort of the first time that you could really get the virtual fighters and the mengs tts and the daytonas um you know uh as close to the arcade as you could and that was such a, an amazing time for me and um um you know it was competing with the the PlayStation obviously but with the uh the RAM cart and and things like that and being able to be able to import um you know the fighting games the Capcom fighting games with additional animation and I was a big I'm a big Virtua Fighter um fan you know I have an arcade machine downstairs in my house of of 
Virtua Fighter oh, 2. Um, and uh, and uh, another fact, too, I actually, actually wrote um, the official, before I worked at Sega, the official guides for Virtua Fighter uh, 2 and Virtua Fighter 3 TB, I wrote them um, actually when I was out of Sega. So if you see those, those official Ooh, awesome. guides, I, yeah, I'm the one who wrote them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, so you, um, you, you really know your Virtua Fighter stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm a big. I was a big, big um, um, fan um, of Virtua Fighter for sure, and so I spent countless amounts of money on that. And, and then when I could, you know, when it came to the home, um, you know, starting with the first Virtua Fighter, then remix, and then, gosh, VF2. Like I was just blown away by VF2, and I was amazed uh, by it. And um, and then you know all the other Sega 3D ballers like Last Bronx and Fighting Vipers and and all those games and Fighters Mega Mix. Um, you know, it was just like if you're a fighting game fan, that system had so many wonderful um, games. Um, so I, which I was, and I was also a big Sega arcade fan. And of course, that system has a ton of of the 3D uh, Sega arcade ports. So in my, you know, in my life and in my heart, that that console has a very special place, and it's probably my most favored uh, Sega console by far. Awesome. So y you can say. Uh, you're a very, a very knowledgeable person about the Saturn, right? Um, yeah, I guess so. I, I yeah. can say that. I mean, there's always room for uh, a sort of improvement, but uh, I've spent the most time with that system, I would say for sure. Okay, so we'll see. We'll see in a bit. We'll see in a bit. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, great. <laughs> moving on, <laughs> though. Um, what's your favorite Sonic game now? Many um, people um, asked us to, to ask this question. Yeah, um, I would say it's a mix. Now that I think, about, you know, I, I think that Sonic Adventure um, is one of my favorites, and it's 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 a tough thing because I don't say it's I don't think it's like the best game, but it just like we had discussed earlier, it came at a very special time at me, and I and the amount of excitement that I had for it was more than any other Sonic game, um, and it had to do with the Dreamcast, the new hardware, it had to do with the transition of the character and the transition to the type of gameplay, so. I can clearly still remember laying on the sofa in Oregon playing that game. So that why that's that will always be, sort of be special in that regard. But in the classic days, the just the uh, Sonic and Knuckles, Sonic Three sort of hybrid stuff. Um, those games in the classic sense were probably uh, my favorites back then. Um, so I guess those would be the top two, sort of uh, depending on era. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and you and you said something interesting. I was discussing that with someone uh, the other day. Uh, favorite games don't mean uh, they're the best games. So each person has a favorite. Doesn't mean that's the best game in a series or anything. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. In my case, I love Sonic 2. It's my favorite Sonic game. But yeah, uh, I can I can um, I clearly say that Sonic 3 and Knuckles is the better game or. Yeah, it has a lot. Yeah, it has a lot of content, and it's just a large-scale game. And um, you know, it's just neat what they did. I think at that time, just that whole technology um, at that time was really, you know, very interesting um, to people. The lock-on stuff. So uh, I think that's why I remember. There's just a lot of with my friends back then, just like, oh my gosh, what is this, and how does this work? This is like amazing. Um, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, and like you said, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's the best game. I mean, goodness knows some of my some of my most fondest games are games that are not well reviewed or well received. It's just that at that time in my life or during that period, um, you know, I really really enjoyed them, and they just came at the right time. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so um, apart from uh, either it, if it's a Sonic or not Sonic game, what's your favorite Sega game or your favorite Sega games? Um, so games yeah, the the game that uh, I probably have, Sega game that I've invested the most time in is is probably Virtua Fighter 2 in in all the different carnations. So back on the Saturn and then uh, when it was released uh, again on the PS2 on the Sega Ages collection. Um, so that that game in general is is easily my most played Sega game. Um, I and, and of course since I have the arcade machine, I. I I used to do it every week, but it's probably now every two or three weeks when I turn on the arcade machine. I still play Virtua Fighter 2. So, um, lucky. I, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I I love that uh, series to death, and and that was um, if you had to count hours of gameplay, that's probably um, the most. Um, I would say though, if I had to do something outside of Virtua Fighter, um, I would say probably the Panzer Dragoon series. Oh, um, nice pick. You know. Yeah, like I, I really love those games. I've always wanted to try to bring them out, uh, you know, again in some way, which it's always presented with challenges because I think that there's so many people who haven't been able to play those games. Even when Orta came out on the Xbox, um, you know, uh, there's a large quantity of people who aren't familiar with that series, um, especially you know RPG. And um, um, I think that um, you know, if we were ever to release that in the future at some point. Um, I think a lot of people would really uh, enjoy it. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> It's funny how I was saying this on my other show uh, this Monday, because uh, I think uh, the Panzer Dragoon series are. I, I mean, I, I would love for a Shenmue 3 or a Shenmue oh. HD re-release, re but I think the Panzer Dragoon series are uh, probably the games that, if uh, if Sega were to re-release them or release a sequel or, of sorts, uh, people would. Um, I think more people would buy them, uh, even non-Sega fans, because the whole series and the whole mechanics behind the, the, the Panzer Dragoon series is awesome. So I think it would be a nice, a nice pick. Yeah, hint, I, I hint, agree. Hint. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> it, it's one of the things, you know. It's like if, if we're, I have like a whole list of, of games that I've always tried to wanted to try to release. You know, I've always wanted to try to re-release Panzer Dragoon's games. I've always wanted to try to release um, sort of the, and we kind of did it actually a little bit. Um, they finally did it, but I wanted to release like a collection of all of the uh, the 3D fighting games. You know what I mean? So the the Fighting Viper games, the Blast uh, Bronx, and all those together in a compilation. And we ended up releasing them. Um, individually, uh, at least a few of them, like uh, Sonic Fighter and uh, Virtua Fighter, and um, I think Fighting Vipers Fighting and stuff. Vipers, so we released, yeah. A, yeah. So we released a few of those. Um, but it would have been nice to be able to have those as sort of a, a collection with you know behind the scenes content and interviews and stuff. Um, and that's always a dream. Maybe in some time in the future, um, you know, I can collect all of the uh, the Sega fighting games together, you know, into a, an ultimate like fighting compilation. That would be awesome. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so um, what's your favorite video game uh, series, or just a video game, be it Sega or non-Sega? No. Huh, let's see here. That is um, a good question, and I'm trying to think. Um, you know, I have to jump to like Resident Evil. The survival horror stuff is, I'm a big fan of, so Resident Evil's, the, the Silent Hills, uh, though I haven't uh, played all the Silent Hills, uh, Fatal Frames, um, any of those uh, sort of horror-esque clock tower, um, I'm always, I always try out like kind of new sort of horror slash um, survival horror games. Um, but um, 
you know, one game I have to sort of say that I really, really love, and I always try to go back to it, and not many people played it, um, but it was, um, uh, oh gosh, now I'm forgetting, uh, Shadow of Destiny, um, which was released by Konami, um, it was back on the PS2 era, um, and it was a, and I think they re-released a version of it for PSP, um, and it was a great game, um, it had a female game director and i can't remember her name now but it was simply about like making these choices so you'd run around and, and um you make choices it's all about time travel and the decisions that you made when you go back in time and forward in time um and uh, um uh and it had like a bunch of different endings and each of the endings were better than the last one with more and more cliffhanger so um, it's one of those unknown titles that I love to death. Um, I've played it so many times to all the different endings, but a uh, great game for, for anyone who wants to check out that sort of, sort of uh, explore. Yeah. It's actually called Shadow of Memories uh, in Europe. And Shadow yeah. of Destiny yeah, in Shadow... North America. Yeah, I'm... Yep. I don't know the game. I'm actually checking Wikipedia. Yeah, it's like a, it's a slower paced game, but it's, it's a, you know, you're running around the town, you're talking with people, and you're trying to sort of solve um, situations and go and use the time travel to go back in time and sort of help to prevent things from happening um, and uh, sort of the, the cause and effect of that and so it's not a very deep game but the, the, the cool aspect was that it had so many endings and a lot of the endings are some of the best ones I've seen as far as sort of cliffhangers or wanting you to um, continue to play again to try to find the next ending. Oh yeah like six endings or something I'm just Reading yeah, through the Wikipedia article. Oh yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, it had a lot. It had a lot of. Uh, yeah. It definitely had a lot of endings. Um, and then, uh, but I loved a lot of the stuff that they released during that time. And it, it, Zone of the Enders, I'm a big fan of. Um, yeah. It's a lot of Konami stuff in general that I was during, especially the sort of the PS2 kind of era. Um, they released a lot of greats. Ring of Red. Um, so I was a big Konami fan back then too. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so uh, what have you been playing lately, apart from Sonic Boom? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's slowed down a little bit. I, I'm right now. I, I'm trying to get into uh, Watch Dogs. I just started uh, like a week or so ago um, for PS4, and um, so I've been playing that and then um, off and on. But it's been a bit slow. I had to slow down a little bit um, just because we're we're at a very busy point in the in the uh, project. And yeah. you know, when I get home, I'm kind of exhausted, and the last thing I want to do is want to play a game. So. Um, I'm slowly kind of um, going through um, that, um, but um, what else was I uh, playing? Uh, uh, well, some months ago I was playing Titanfall uh, a fair bit, and then um, uh, was I, have I been playing anything on handheld? Oh, um, I'm a huge God of War fan too, that's also one of my favorite series, so I always just keep playing them over and over again, so they just released... Um, you know, God of War one and two again on on Vita, and so I yeah. sucker and just play through it again, even though I played <laughs> through those games like twenty billion times. But yeah, okay, okay, awesome. Uh, so uh, one of our listeners, and actually um, he's part of our staff over at Radio Sega, Tweeny, asked the question: uh, If there was any game from Sega you would lend a hand in developing, Sonic or otherwise, available available in the West or not, what game would that be and why? You actually mentioned the fighting games, but not yeah, there's anything uh, else. 
Um, so I, I could do that a couple days. So the fighting games, um, yes. Um, so from a Virtua Fighter perspective, I'd love to design um, sort of a, a help work on um, sort of a rebirth of Virtua Fighter, but um, tailored to try to introduce newcomers to it. Like I think um, Capcom did a really good job with um, you know the recent Street Fighter uh, mm-hmm. stuff. Um, w- you know because it was it was. Re- Returned to its roots, but it had flashy attacks and combos, and I think it grabbed interest in fighting games again. And I think it brought in a lot of new people who uh, were intimidated before um, because of its flashiness, but it was relatively easy to get into. So I think they did a brilliant job with uh, with Street Fighter. Um, I'd love to be able to bring Virtua Fighter to a, a larger audience and not just the hardcore fighting game fans. Yeah. Um, I'd like to like maybe. Um, you know, if, if this is just me speaking, if, if I were designing the game right now, I would love to, like, you know, return to when they were young, uh, all the characters when they were young, and um, they only knew, they knew less moves because they've only been training for a very limited amount of time, um, and each of their personalities would be very diverse, so they're still kind of young and, um, you know, sort of full of themselves. Yeah, almost like an origin story. And so, you know, having them young and learning allows newcomers to sort of take the journey with them and not be intimidated by the large quantity of moves. Um, And and then I would try to wrap it up in sort of a story, sort of experience, kind of like what Namco has done with Maisel Calibur, Tekken and stuff, where through a a story, you're learning these characters and you're also learning to how they fight and... um, um, and uh, you know what their role is uh, in the series. So I'd love to be able to sort of you know bring a new take on on Virtua Fighter. So that's one thing. Um, the the other thing um, um, I'd love to do um, is uh, I think um, like I said uh, um, maybe uh, a new type of Panzer Dragoon game. You know, like it's funny because you see still a lot of support for shooters on the Dreamcast. There's a lot of development, like uh, indie development for uh, shooters and stuff that's still coming occurring on Dreamcast and other systems. You know, I just think that like there's still a place for uh, really fun uh, shooters, um, and I think some sort of uh, version, a lighter version of uh, Panzer Dragoon RPG um, um, with with lots of action elements could be really neat and uh, kind of a, a fresh take on RPGs that are being delivered today so um, I think there would be room for that so I'd love to sort of do a new sort of RPG light uh, Panzer Dragoon game uh, as well awesome yeah and I totally agree Sega should hire this man right here oh wait Uh, yeah (laughs) so okay last question before we um, take a music break and then we'll uh, get on with the Sonic Boom questions uh, okay. Last question: How was E3? <laughs> because we had uh, Julian and uh, Julian Melfold and Sam Mullen on the show the other day, and they said being at E3 consisted mostly of standing. So I'd like to know yes. how was your experience this year. <laughs> um, so uh, E3 this year, I mean, generally E3 was very is very busy for me just in general. But um, sometimes I'm representing my products, and sometimes, like last year, I was representing uh, Lost World, which I didn't really even work on. Um, but uh, uh, but um, this year was very very um, uh, tiring and just full because I have interviews constantly. So every um, you know, every half hour I have an interview with some sort of publication or website or TV show um, every every day. And 
So maybe the interview is like 15, 20 minutes, and then I have like five or 10 minutes um, before the next one, and I can help people who are playing the game and stuff like that. But I'm, and I'm running all over the place for interviews. So I'm running over to Twitch, or I'm running over to GameSpot, or I'm running over to someplace else. So um, I literally had the, the first day I didn't even eat lunch, and then the other two days I had about like 28 minutes free uh, where I went and had a, a quick lunch or snack to eat, and then it was there for the rest of the day. So it was very um, tiring. Uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, me being a sucker sort of for punishment, I sort of flew back um, for the day to get back on Saturday at home. Um, <laughs> but then on Sunday, I flew back down to L.A. to attend the Sonic Revolution um, yeah. event. And so I just had literally the one day break in there. And on the Sunday when I went to Sonic Revolution, I had to get up at like four or five in the morning. So um, I'm still sort of recovering um uh, a, a bit from all the energy I use, and I have a lot of other trips coming up, so I gotta, I gotta try to rest when I can, so I can save the energy. <laughs> okay. So I said that this was the last question, but since you uh, brought up Sonic Revolution, um, how was it, <laughs> by the way? And how, what do you think about this uh, fan, uh, fan-made events? Uh, oh yeah. Convention. Sure. So. Um, You know, we have been talking, uh, Aaron and I, uh, talking a lot about this. You know, I'm always, I say this a lot, and I'm very appreciative of, you know, Sega fans and especially Sonic fans, um, because, you know, without them, this franchise would not be around over over the 20 years that it has been. Um, there's, there's, you know, they're very dedicated sort of following, and I and I wholeheartedly appreciate um, that standpoint. And so when I can, I want to try to engage with them and talk with them and meet with them. Um, because in the past, it's been tough, you know, especially Sonic Team being in Japan. There aren't that many instances or opportunities for, you know, Izuka-san or, or anyone else, Uokawa or anyone else who, um, to come over and um, engage with fans. Um, it's just not something that's very practical or it's not presentable in many opportunities. So, you know, when I started Sonic Boom, I promised myself that I would do my best to try to do interviews and talk to fans and engage with fans as much as possible to show them that you know we really care about them and we want we appreciate them um, and so when I heard uh, early on that uh, they were trying to do this Sonic Revolution it was the start of this new um, kind of new uh, um, sort of convention or meetup sort of scenario and you know I wanted to really show support for it in some way and um, so we didn't really tell I mean the founders knew Shane and those guys knew but no one else really knew and so Aaron and I decided that you know what we're gonna fly down there and, and show up and and meet and talk with the people and so we showed up and I and I had a blast it was really great time I met a lot of wonderful people uh, just some a lot of heartwarming moments uh, with some of the fans and just seeing these people come together you know spending their own money to put together this event um, so that other people who love Sonic can come together and spend time talking about the guy, uh, you know, the characters and appreciating them. It, it was amazing. So, you know, I, I give complete respect to the, the groups uh, that uh, put that together. Um, you know, I want to thank everyone who came out to it and for, you know, taking the time to meet with us and talk with us. Um, but, yeah, I had a lot of fun and, and I can't wait to see, um, you know, what they do for the next one. And uh, the, fa the fact that both you and Aaron uh, showed up, I think it meant a lot for, for the fans. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah no, okay. our pleasure. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, I think we'll just take a quick music break. Uh, we'll play another track from Sonic Heroes, uh, Bingo Highway, 
actually. And then we'll okay. play Sonic Boom from Sonic City. This one was actually picked by Steven, so... Yes. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why, really. <laughs> not sure, not sure. <laughs> okay, so when we get back, uh, we'll talk more with Steven about Sonic Boom. Yes, and we have a little quiz uh, at the end of the show. We'll be Sounds right back. It 
Welcome back everyone, you're listening to the SEGA Lounge on Radio SEGA and uh, tonight we're talking to Stephen Frost, producer of Sonic Boom and of course we've um, talked about his uh, personal history on SEGA and not on SEGA <laughs> as well um, and now uh, it's the moment we've all been waiting for we'll discuss um, the most important event uh, of all times yes We're talking about the World <laughs> Cup with Stephen uh, yes, Frost. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, let's not talk about the World Cup because my national team lost. Uh, I'm from Portugal, by the way, so yeah, yes. we lost. Yes. Uh, now we need to uh, score lots of goals against the US. Yeah. Uh, which will probably not happen. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll talk about Sonic Boom now, of course. Uh, yeah, so we have a few questions for you. Um, let's start by talking about the concept behind Sonic Boom. So it's said to be a new branch of the Sonic franchise and not a replacement of modern Sonic, right? Uh, yes. Why did you guys feel there was the need to create this new branch? Um, so, you know, there's there's a myriad of reasons, but I think the underlying uh, goal is sort of the desire to kind of expand out to... Um, sort of a larger, even larger audience and to attract people who A, maybe not familiar with Sonic or B, um, might have played Sonic back in the the early days, but for whatever reason has sort of um, left and, and gone off to do other things. Because, um, you know, you, you see a lot of people who like, oh yeah, Sonic, I remember that, I played that back in the day on the Genesis. Um, you know, um, but they haven't really played any Sonic games since then. Um, so we knew that there was a, a lot of potential for um, a, a lot of people out there who like the character, who are familiar with the character, and, and sort of how do we uh, kind of draw them in. And, and I think just through virtue of increasing or expanding um, sort of the Sonic uh, fan base, um, you know, it can only help the franchise uh, and, and the IP in general. Um, but early, early start, we weren't sure exactly you know, how we were going to do that in the direction that we headed in, um, we knew that, that this could be an opportunity to um, put a sort of a, a fresh coat of paint on the characters, um, try to experiment with sort of new gameplay types, um, and, and also look at ways of how we could better integrate um, the games and, and other aspects of the IP, such as licensing. How can we integrate those things together? So that was sort of the, the early discussions. And then um, eventually or soon after, um, the whole potential premise and opportunity concerning the cartoon came in. And um, when we started talking with them, um, they saw some of the ideas and the concept art and the things that we were starting to think about in relation to the game. And they got really excited. Um, it, it felt really fresh and new to them. Um, you know, it had a lot of... Um, new things and areas that they could expand upon as far as characters and locations and stuff. And so they were on board right away. And then right when they showed their excitement, we knew that we had sort of something special and something unique here. And so we kind of ran full steam with it. And from that point on, we really started working very closely together, um, all the major groups at SEGA, um, to sort of come up with sort of a unified vision uh, for these characters that would represent um, sort of the new type of focus that we have, which is sort of that, 
adventuring, kind of action adventuring sort of feel and humor because humor is a core thing of the cartoon. Um, you know, what are what do we need to change? What do we need to redesign in order to get that across? So that was sort of the genesis. Uh, for the whole sort of sonic boom initiative and it kind of grew from there but to sort of answer your question really it was a desire to um, to expand and try to reach out to a lot of other people out there who um, like I said A have not uh, been familiar with Sonic or even played Sonic games before and B um, people who might have played it in the past or off and on but really haven't been uh, into the franchise uh, recently and how can we spark their attention and how can we uh, sort of uh, you know create this explosion of newness and excitement around the IP okay yeah makes sense so was having outside studios developing the games instead of uh, Sonic Team also a way of differentiating this branch of the franchise from uh, modern Sonic um, yes, um, we knew that um, we needed to have, um, you know, in the game, a strong adventure sense. And the cartoon carries this, too, as far as, you know, the, these these teammates, uh, Sonic, Amy, Tails, and Knuckles, and Sticks, um, you know, are going on little adventures, and they're, they're going off um, on these sort of um, uh, different trips and experiences. And um, we knew that sort of that teamwork-based component and that exploration component were uh, important and that's not to say that um, Sonic Team uh, couldn't do that uh, you know I'm sure they could do it um, in their own sort of Sonic Team way for sure um, but we wanted a different um, since this was a new initiative and it was really tailored towards uh, mainly you know um, North America and and Europe initially right this is a very Western thing and of course South America too but mostly uh, initially North America and Europe um, we want I to have hers who were intrinsically um, part of that culture and uh, aware of sort of the pop culture and sort of the expectations of, of Western audiences. Um, and granted, honestly, Sonic has always been to some degree tailored towards a Western audience. Um, but, you know, that can be challenging to some degree when you're asking a Japanese team to try to understand what is successful in Europe and you know, the United States, for example, and try to create a game based upon that. Um, it's it's sort of a, a different type of experience, and it's, it's a challenging thing to do. So we wanted developers on the ground floor who had experience working on Western-style games. And by Western, I mean sort of focused on more on the story and the exploration and adventure elements of it versus being, you know, pick-up-and-play and, and arcade-y kind of experience. Um, have them uh, have developers on the ground floor who have done it before who are very intrinsically aware of sort of Western sensibilities as far as expectations for games um, and also allows us, you know, from a Western perspective to differentiate again from what Sonic game, uh, Sonic line. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Uh, so you were talking about. Um having to decide on the final design for Sonic and Friends, right? So were there very different designs from what we now know is going to be the final form of Sonic and Friends? Yes, most definitely. We've been working on the designs, the character designs for quite a while. Um, and they've gone through many, many different iterations. Um, you know, hopefully someday we'll get to show some of them. Um, all the characters, too. Eggman went in uh, very different directions. 
um, as well. Uh, Lyric, the design for Lyric, the, the new uh, enemy, uh, went through a myriad of, of design stuff. And um, the team did too because we are trying to see... A, what the boundaries were uh, as far as our comfort level, but also Sonic Team's comfort level. Because we have to still be respect, we have to still be respectful for them. They are the IP holders, and they are the ones who've been handling this franchise uh, for the most part uh, single-handedly. And so they have the most experience with the characters. They understand, um, you know, what expectations are for those characters. And so, you know, from our side, we're we're you know early on, you're not quite sure what direction you're headed in, right? Uh, you know that you want to try to do. Um, some changes uh, for various reasons, but you're not sure how to, far to push things. And so initially, you just try wacky stuff. You know, you go to extreme um, uh, stuff. And we had like characters that looked more like Disney esque um, and just different, really different interpretations. Like we'd have a bunch of different artists performing their interpretations of what, uh, what they think Sonic would look like now and things like that. Yeah. And so it was a lot, a lot, a lot of, of sketching and drawing and back and forth and talking to Sonic Team about what they're comfortable with, but also on our side, what we, um, what we liked. Um, you know, some of these designs were too extreme. We wanted something, and I hate to say edgy, but because edgy is such a you know bad word, but um, <laughs> something that really sparked interest when people saw it. You know, that was a catchy design, um, but that didn't trail too far away from the original characters because they still needed to be recognizable as those characters. Um, but the thing I always bring up and, the, and I sort of stress to especially Sonic fans, um, you know, none of the changes were sort of, were done just like, oh, we're just going to make this change. Um, we talked uh, a lot about every single change and, and some of the changes, I've and I don't exaggerate this, some of the changes took probably like uh, a year to decide on and finally agree on. Um, so it's not a, a small amount of time uh, by any means. It wasn't something that we, you know, worked on for two weeks or you know a month, and that was it. Um, yeah. We worked on it a long time, and it's key that we have agreement of all groups because sometimes things that work in games don't work in animation, and vice versa, right? The size of, you know, you might think of something like uh, size of hands um, in um, cartoons. You probably have uh, more close-ups. Uh, than, than you would in the game. And so you don't want the, the, the hands and the feet and stuff like that to be exaggerated because they take up so much space. However, in the game, um, you know, the camera is generally further back. And so you want to exaggerate the limbs a little bit so that you can, you can see them more easily against the background. Um, so there's a lot of, yeah, there's lots of things like that that people don't necessarily think about that we had to think about um, and kind of come to conclusions of how we address stuff um, and that it makes sense. And, and sometimes we had additions that were so minute that it didn't make sense to include because no one's going to really notice it. So why are we doing it? Um, and um, so that's what it, it really kind of came out of. And, and the key thing is sort of the focus on the varying silhouettes. Um, it's, you know, just in sort of modern character design, very, varying silhouettes is a key important thing. And that's why you see every sort of like superhero team or even games like Team Fortress and things like that have very, the class types are very distinct. Mm -hmm. So even by their shadow, you can see, you can kind of tell who they are. Um, so we wanted to make sure that uh, specifically for people who are new to Sonic, that they can look at the characters and understand what their role is on the team. Um, so Tails, for example, I'll throw that out there. You know, Tails now has his, uh, he always wears sort of his aviation goggles, and he wears sort of that belt across his chest. 
um, and he oftentimes is holding a wrench or something. Um, but that you look at that and you're like, okay, he's got aviation goggles. He's obviously a pilot of some sort. And he's got like a tool belt, so he he obviously fixes things. And you get that um, without even knowing anything about him, um, just yeah. by looking at him. Um, and then, of course, the biggest thing, um, biggest change, obviously, is Knuckles, right? Which was the, the one that we knew uh, when we revealed <laughs> it that, right, would cause the most sort of uproar and uh, sort of confusion and concern. Um, but we felt it was important because, you know, back in classic, you know, Knuckles, Knuckles, for the most part, aside from his hands, is, uh, ratio-wise, is very similar to Sonic, uh, size-wise. Yeah. And um, he has the big hands, but if you present that to... Um, People nowadays who are not familiar with it, they get a little bit confused. They don't necessarily understand, okay, he has big hands, but why is he so much stronger than Sonic if he's like sort of the same size and he has some of the skinny arms still and skinny legs and stuff? Um, so um, we wanted to really sell him as the strong guy. And if you look at the Avengers or you look at uh, the Incredibles or anything like that, uh, Fantastic Four, any sort of superhero team, um, the strong guy is very easily discernible. Like he's the big guy. He has the big arms. He's got broad shoulders. Um, people are used to that, and when they see that, they understand that that represents strength. Okay, so um, Knuckles is the Red Hulk, right? Yeah, yeah, Red Hulk. Yeah, for those <laughs> for those who follow the comics, he's the Red Hulk. Um, okay. But uh, you know, that was really smash. yeah, Hulk Smash exactly. Um, so that was really important to get across um, each of those sort of characteristics just by looking um, at the characters themselves in a vacuum and. That what that's what drove a lot of our decision process as far as how the uh, characters ended up in the end. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so no one um, suggested a, a new girlfriend for Sonic, maybe Lady Gaga or something. <laughs> Lady Gaga, yeah, we'll follow up Madonna. Instead of with Madonna, Lady Gaga. no. Yeah, um, no. Um, that's disappointing. You know, is, yeah, I know, right? Uh, um, uh, he's got to have a girlfriend, but um, you know <laughs> we're just start, we're just starting this journey of of Sonic Boom. So who knows, who knows what happens? Right? Yeah, yeah. Who knows what could happen? Um, but it was just really important, I think, early on to establish um, the characters again. And I know for fans, uh, you know, they hear this a lot. As far as like uh, we know who these characters are and how they act, but. but for fans that is not familiar with or hasn't remembered in a while, you really have to spend a lot of time making sure that the personalities and their character abilities are very separate from each other. So it's it's very clear what the differences are. Um, so that's why we do things like you know in the game, for example, uh, Tails is a is a range guy, right? He's not a melee guy. It's very clear that he is a range guy, and that's his sort of gameplay. So that way, when people come in, they see the personality types and they see sort of what their role is, and they can understand it very clearly, um, even if they don't have all that back history that a lot of Sonic fans have with the characters. Okay. So you heard it, you heard it here first, folks. Lady Gaga will be joining Sonic Boom 2. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> uh, um, obviously, the, the TV show and the game will have a lot in common, right? Uh, you said yes. it before. So are both games prequels to the events we'll be seeing on the show? Is it the other way around? There's been some confusing uh, news articles today, actually, regarding this. Sure. Um, okay, so yeah, just to clear. So um, first off, it's like... You know, it's not important if you have to play the games before the cartoon or watch the cartoons for the games. It's not important. You're not going to necessarily miss anything. Mm -hmm. um, but in, from a time perspective, um, yes, the, the two games, uh, the Wii U and the 3DS games, do take place um, sort of before the events in the cartoon. Um, and the reason that we did that is 
so that we could sort of have fun kind of taking the characters on a bit of a journey of growth to where they end up in the cartoon. Um, Because in the games, especially in the Wii U early on, um, Sonic is his classic Sonic personality, right? He's always running into situations. He's not thinking um, long-term inherently. He's generally thinking in the moment. Um, And sometimes this can cause his team to be put into danger, right? He thinks that he's doing the right thing um, by just jumping into the situation, but a lot of times he's making things worse. Um, So early in the game, he doesn't really understand the importance of um, the team or his friends. He kind of takes them for granted. Um, And uh, what you see through the journey in the arc of the game is how, um, you know, after he puts his team into danger, uh, characters in in the danger several times, he comes to the final realization that, wow, you know what? These are my friends. Um, They're important to me, and it's important to be as a team, right? Sonic is uh, stronger with his friends is sort of a line that we kind of use. And he ends up learning that he needs his team and his friends in order to defeat Lyric. Um, And so by the end of the game, um, you know, he's a sort of a much better Sonic. He's a much more appreciative Sonic. And the characters and how they act at that point um, sort of lead into um, the cartoon. So that's from that's from the character's perspective uh, on the Wii U. The 3DS is a is a even more separate story. It still takes place before the events in the cartoon, um, but it's a, it's sort of a, a standalone story that's separate. So that um, again, if you play it, you'll see more of the background story and understand sort of the characters. Um, but it is uh, not crucial to the whole thing. You know, it just adds more to the experience and adds more to your understanding. Uh, of their characters and their growth uh, leading up to the cartoon. Um, so that's that's the characters. And the other sort of growth we have is Eggman. So um, Eggman, um, Eggman's just in the Wii U game. He doesn't. He's not in the 3DS version because they focus on Lyric. On the Wii U, we focus on um, Lyric and Eggman um, and sort of their interactions with each other. Um, so just to be clear about that. But um, Eggman also starts out on kind of his own personal growth of how um, how he is, and then he sees Lyric, who is this sort of even darker kind of villain, really, in some ways. Um, he doesn't have sort of the moral compass or anything that Eggman has. Um, he's just basically interested in destroying all living things, pretty much. So um, Eggman sees this as an opportunity to learn from Lyric and Lyric's ability and mastery of technology. And um, he kind of sees in Lyric what it sort of takes to be kind of a true villain. At least that's what I like to look at it like. <laughs> um, you know, he's observing what Lyric does and he's like, wow, you know, like Lyric's, what Lyric's doing is very serious. Um, you know, I could probably learn from this stuff and take advantage of the situation. Um, and um, that growth as a, as a character and, and as a villain to a more formidable sort of enemy, um, again, sort of leads up to how he is in the cartoon. So it's both a growth journey for Eggman and you know, Sonic and team. And that's why they're considered more of a prequel to the, the cartoon. Okay. So to be clear, Lyric won't appear in the TV show, right? Uh, not right now. He has no, uh, there's no current plan. That's not to say in the future that he won't, but um, at least right now, um, Eggman is, is the focus. Yes. So Eggman is the main villain for the TV show. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, thanks for clearing that up. Um, Mm-hmm. So uh, I, f- I forgot to uh, ask a question uh, before. 
how closely have all the teams involved in this been working together? So the, the 3DS team, the Wii U team, so Big Red Button, uh, Senzaru, right? Yep. And yes. the, the TV show uh, team. So um, it's very closely. So what's great now is, um, you know, sort of the Sonic uh, sort of pillar, if you call it, the, the focus of this, all the Sonic uh, IP is now um, basically headquartered at, at Sega of America. And so I sit not that far away from the licensing team that's responsible for all the, the, the toy stuff. Um, right next to them is um, sort of the, uh, the animation, you know, uh, Sega-based animation group. And then we also have the, the Sonic Pillar head here. And so it's a very, just from that, for the first time in a while, we've been able to have everyone in one sort of building talking to each other. Whereas before, we used to have people, you know, obviously in Japan, people in Europe, people in America, different times. Um, it makes it very difficult to really work closely together um, uh, whenever possible. And so this has been a great benefit to us. Um, but um, going back in time, um, early on, um, you know, when uh, the animation guys came in and, and saw, because early days of the game, we did so much concept art just to get an idea of what this world would be like and what the gameplay would be like. Um, uh, Big Red Button, like, uh, spent a lot of time just um, creating concept art, like beautiful concept art, um, to establish the, the world and places that characters might go in the game. And, and the, uh, the animation production team, when they saw that, they said, wow, this is like, there's so much thought and so much energy and time put into this. We really love this. Um, we really want to use it, um, uh, as well as, as part of the basis for the ideas that we've been having for the cartoon. Um, so that started the sort of the spark of working together in a synergistic way. And, um, you know, for the first, all the way through production early on, we talked constantly um, with each other, sharing assets back and forth, characters that we were creating for the games. They said, oh, you know, that's a great character. Can we use it in the, in the cartoon and vice versa? Um, you know, we used the voice. It was very important for us to use the same voice actors. So all the voice actors in the game are the same as the voice actors in the cartoon um, for all the key characters. And we need, we wanted that a just for to make sure that everyone sounded the same, but also because in this Sonic Boom sort of initiative, I feel that we've given the voice actors um, more room and more freedom to kind of express themselves a bit more and sort of emote um, more in conjunction with their characters. And I think people will notice that um, in their acting when they see the cartoons and when they play the game. Um, there's a much wider range of I think emotion than what you've had in the past. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, so, it's obvious from just so, uh, seeing the trailers and everything. That's great. So, yeah, and so we really wanted to keep and maintain that consistency because we didn't want a situation where, let's say, a child is seeing Sonic Boom on a cartoon for the first time and say, hey, there's a game, I want to play the game, and then play the game, and then it, it feels so distinctly different in how the characters interact and stuff. Um, so there was a lot of collaboration on even the story, um, the, you know, how the characters talk to each other. Um, you know, across the board, so pretty much every aspect um, that you can think of, and even talk, uh, thinking about like the game world and, and the, um, you know, the cartoon world. You know, not everything can completely match up because of the way that you have to build stuff. But like, you know, there's a lot of. Uh, it is a physical kind of world, and it's uh, it's a connected world. So when you go from one area to another, you need to go on a road, or you need to go on some other thing in order to get there. Um, that's represented in the game. So, like, when you go from a hub to a level, you're on a speed course or something, for example. Um, and the same thing in the cartoon, right? We can't just have you just warp to 
uh, you know, Candyland or something like that. Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense when you're trying to build this sort of cohesive world. And so everything sort of makes sense. Everything is connected together. Um, and that was really important um, across all the different um, mediums. And um, even the toys, you know, and, and the toys that they're building with the play sets are based off of sort of locations and and concepts and stuff that are um, existing in the cartoon and um, the game. So, you know, we worked really hard um, early on to try to connect the stuff as much as possible, but also, you know, give everyone a bit of freedom to kind of take things in their own way. Um, because, you know, the cartoon has to be able to go off in different directions and explore areas that are not seen in the game. Same way the game has to, you know, is going to places that you aren't going to see in the cartoon, for example. And even the 3DS, even the 3DS one will go on to locations that are not seen in the Wii U game. Um, so it's kind of this neat thing where, you know, for fans, they can go in as deep as they want. You know, they can just watch the cartoons or if they want to play one of the games, they can. But, uh, you know, if they do it all, they can have a better sense of sort of the world and the and the depth and the vastness of it all and, and how it all works together. So that's kind of exciting. You know, it's easy to get into, but you can kind of dive in as deep as you want um, when you once you get uh, into it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, talk about uh, the controversial questions right now. Hmm. Sure. So let's talk about Amy. <laughs> so uh, Amy is said to be kidnapped on the 3DS game, and um, yeah. it, this has yes. sparked a fair amount of controversy, controversy uh, amongst yep. some Sonic fans. Um, yes. Yes. So <laughs> some interesting comments we've read in the, the, the past few weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you tell us if she'll have a bigger role in Shattered Crystals, the 3DS game, apart from being just a non-playable character that you're trying to save? Um, she, well, we really, I know it's a, it's sort of a hard thing for um, um, Sonic fans, you know, uh, especially it's like, oh, the Wii U, you can play as her, why can't you play in the 3DS? Um, yeah. The, the thing is, is that we didn't want, it was really important that we wanted to stick with four characters because, um, you know, anything before that gets a little bit daunting as far as gameplay, trying to man difficult and out of hand. So we knew from the early get-go that we just wanted to focus on four characters. Um, the, uh, the way that sort of um, Amy gets kidnapped, I think, is handled well. I personally think it's, it, it's fine. Um, I understand, because I love Amy in the Wii U game, I understand fans of Amy um, are sort of disappointed. But I think that um, when they play Sticks, um, I think they'll come to appreciate how cool Sticks is as well. And Sticks provides uh, a unique sort of gameplay mechanic with her boomerang um, that we really wanted to focus on and utilize um, in, in the 3DS game. Um, we knew that we couldn't eliminate Amy altogether because she's such a fan favorite. So that's why we sort of made a deliberate choice to make sure that she was playable in the Wii U version. Um, and that way she, she was very flushed out in the Wii U version and that she can carry her own in the Wii U version. So, you know, for Amy fans, you know, at least we have her in the cartoon and we have one game that um, really shows off her abilities, like her, her sort of balance beam abilities, her hammer and stuff like that. She's really awesome in the Wii U version, so you have no problems appreciating her, I think, in that game. Um, but we also wanted to introduce people to sticks uh, in a meaningful way. Um, and we didn't just want her to be a non-playable character or just in a cinematic or something like that. So we felt the best way to do that was to have her as a sort of a 3DS exclusive um, as a playable character and introduce uh, fans to her that way. And hopefully they'll grow to love her. And then, you know, hopefully they'll also want to pick up the Wii U version and play um, 
Amy in that uh, version too because she's she's awesome. But um, yeah, I mean, I know I, I know it can be disappointing, and I'm I'm sorry for for Son- you know for Amy fans out there. But we tried to do the best uh, of both worlds, which is you know still have her in a in a in a in one of the games, have her be really awesome and a strong character, um, and then also be able to introduce sticks in a meaningful way, um, and um, you know without sort of having too many characters to have to wor- for the player to have to worry about. Okay, cool. So now we have the other side of the coin. So sticks will apparently be playable on the 3DS version, or not apparently, because yes. it's confirmed. <laughs> but nothing was mentioned about her character being on the Wii U game. So as you just mentioned, there's only four playable characters in each game, right? So that's uh, correct. Will she still have a role in Rise of Lyric? Yes, um, she does appear in Rise of Lyric, um, except it's a non-player, you know, she, you're not controlling her. Um, she is sort of a, a part of the game's upgrade system. So um, basically, um, for those who don't know, um, Styx is kind of a badger. She's um, been living um, away from civilization for most of her life, so she's not really familiar with um, civilization as a whole as Sonic and Amy those guys are um, I guess I would equate her to a mix between like Tarzan in some ways um, and a little bit by Ariel in Little Mermaid because the Tarzan part because you know she's been around she hasn't been around people she doesn't know how to act and then the Ariel part where she likes to collect shiny things so if you remember from Little Mermaid Ariel had this whole <laughs> cave full of shiny objects that she didn't know what they were um, Sticks is sort of the same way and so in the Wii U game she tasks you with finding these shinies um, as she calls them which can be everything from like forks to any myriad of objects um, and so in the Wii U game you can use your um, the Wii U gamepad um, you can use this uh, thing called the AvaVision you can click on the touch screen and it, and it turns blue and you can move it around like a camera and it shows you hidden objects and hidden areas in the levels oh. um, so um, her shinies are generally buried in the ground um, and so you have to try to find them with that vision thing um, and get them. And if you manage to collect them and, and give them to her, then she'll give you stuff in return, um, which allows you to do further upgrades and stuff. So she's connected to um, sort of the um, uh, upgrade system in general in the Wii U game. And then she's play fully playable in the uh, 3DS version. Hmm, that's nice. That's nice. Uh, really, really nice. Uh, and so there's a, a, like a, a radar of sorts uh, if you use the Wii U gamepad. The, I'm sorry. What? Say it again. I, I, I was I was asking if there was a, a radar of sorts. Um, you you can use the the Wii U uh, gamepad as a radar. Radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can yeah you can use it yeah you can use it to look around. Um, you know it's that's um, obviously one of its main uses. You know obviously the other usage for Wii U is is two screens so two players can play. But basically at any time uh, or almost any time you can uh, turn that on and then just hold it up and move it around. Uh, the level like you would like you're looking through a camera almost and then it'll highlight um, sort of things that you can break into secret areas secret rooms um, uh, shiny locations and things like that interesting yeah okay so uh, talking about the 3DS version now um, it includes exclusive rival races right uh, yes and as we were uh, watching the, the gameplay videos and the, the trailer they reminded us of Sonic Rivals for the PSP um, do they play mm-hmm. the same way as well? Um, yeah, I would say it, it's almost faster paced uh, than Rivals, but I can see the comparison. Um, it definitely will push you to um, utilize all the sort of the skills that you have um, that you've picked up 
during the normal adventure parts of the game. Um, and they're very uh, challenging races. So, you know, if you mess up, um, you really have to work hard to, to catch up with them. But what's great about them is that there's multiple paths and uh, based off your characters and stuff. So you have a little bit – it's not like a linear sort of thing. You can actually have a little bit of a flexibility of path that you're choosing and trying to choose the best way possible. So, um, you know, those are really cool aspect of the game and, and hopefully fans will love them because uh, they're definitely kind of tense. You know, you're like uh, – you know, you're really holding the the, the game, uh, the 3DS tight as you're focused and trying to, to beat whoever you're racing against. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that that actually reminds me of Sonic Rivals again. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, but, but it's, it looks cool. It looks cool. Uh, okay, so we're big fans of the music, obviously. Uh, that's why we're on radio. Uh, radio station. So, um, it's always the music, music, music is always part, part of the experience. Can you tell us at this time who is in charge of uh, the soundtrack for both versions of the game? Um, I, I apparently, unfortunately, uh, we're not supposed to talk about it later. I'm not talking. I think we're going to reveal it later. We're going to talk about it later. Um... Uh, so at least right now, for me personally, I can't say anything about that. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um, there, but there's um, a rumor about the 3DS version. I'm not sure. Yeah, if you know I've been, about I've it. been, yeah, no, yeah, I've been hearing about that uh, for sure. Um, but I can't comment on it, unfortunately. Uh, um, okay. I, I hope fans will stay tuned. We'll talk about it more in the, I'm sure, in the near future. Um, but. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think overall the, the music there's a nice variety to it, especially for an adventure game. I think it really does a good job of capturing, you know, the different feels. So you know, in um, like hubs, for example, it's you know it captures sort of that slower pace kind of. I don't know how to say vacationy kind of vibe. It's really neat. And then you know you kick in into um, you kick in into like a speed section or combat, and it kind of picks up. And in the Wii U version, um, at least we have a dynamic music system. So, um, which will which will adjust stuff uh, sort of on the fly based off of how intense or slow um, the uh, the game is, and so you'll have this interesting mix of kind of music and, and sort of intensity of music uh, depending on what you're doing, which we thought was a nice kind of uh, addition to it as well. Awesome, awesome. We're looking forward to it uh, and to know who the, the composer or the composers behind the, the soundtracks are. Okay, so moving on, um, both Sonic Boom games have um, additional titles, so there's Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric and Sonic yep. Boom Shattered Crystals. Um, were there any other ideas for the, these titles uh, passed around? Is this a way to differentiate the two versions? The idea um, of having uh, these subtitles if you want to. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. Yeah, I mean, we always go through, as with every game, you go through a myriad of titles, um, and I'm trying to remember some offhand. It's hard. Like there, there was at least like uh, on the tail end of it, probably like seven or eight different ones that we were looking at for each of them. Um, and yeah, I mean, we wanted to differentiate a because you know Sonic Boom is the is the initiative, is the large scale stuff, but we wanted something that um, also helped to explain what the games were about like we didn't want to just call them sonic boom because um that could mean a lot of different things like if you watch the cartoon and it's called sonic boom and you see eggman for example is the main enemy and then you turn on the wii u game and it's just called sonic boom and you're like oh wait uh uh there's this other guy <laughs> what is this yeah. what is there <laughs> right it can cause confusion so 
Um, we wanted to have some sort of subtitle to differentiate it and kind of explain what the focuses of the game were so that there would be less confusion, hopefully. Uh, um, so obviously Rise of Lyric, I mean, both games uh, uh, focus on Lyric for sure, but really, you know, um, Lyric, uh, because of all the cinematics and stuff and sort of his story and things, is, is more talked about, more sort of um, involved in the story of the Wii U game. Um, so he's very crucial. He shows up a lot. Um, so he's, and it sort of shows his sort of, um, you know, release by Sonic and team from his imprisonment, sort of his background story a little bit, and then like, you know, what he's doing now, um, his goals, right? So you see, you spend a lot of screen time with him. Um, with the, um, 3DS version, uh, yes, Lyric is there, but he's not, he doesn't show up a lot. He's just the presence there, and the, really the focus of the game is collecting the pieces of this one special crystal that's been shattered, and so that drives the story um, uh, in, in many ways, and that's what the focus of the um, the uh, the team is. You know, they're focused on collecting these uh, um, crystals, uh, these shattered crystal, and so that's why we sort of want to differentiate. We also wanted to be able to have different titles so that people understand that these are two very different games, um, that it's not a port. You know, because a lot of times, if you just see Sonic Boom Sonic, you just assume, okay, it's just a port or a conversion of the console game or something like that. And we wanted to make sure that people understood that these are very different games. They share the same sort of core philosophies and focuses, like the four characters, the inner beam, the adventure, and things like that. But they're different, um, very clearly different experiences that are tailored to the different platforms that they're on. And so I think that's the other reason why we really wanted to make sure that there were subtitles in the, in the game title. Okay, okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, some, some gaming industry sites are reporting that uh, the Sonic Boom game may be coming to Japan after all. Um, can you comment on this? Right um, I, yeah, I can't, uh, I can't really comment on it because that's sort of a business uh, sort of decision of, of Sega in general. Um, but I know that, I mean, I can say that we always evaluate which territories we can release it in and if it makes sense and things like that. So, um, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that we've released uh, 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 North American games in Japan if we did do it. Um, I can't I can't say one way or another if we are or not. Um, all I can say is that we're always thinking about it, and if it makes sense to do it, then we obviously would want to do it um, because it, it further expands the market, right? So, um, yeah. Okay, so Sonic fans in Japan, stay tuned for more. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have a, a question by um, a winner with you on Twitter. He says, okay. "What's your favorite feature in the game so far?" Um, wow, that's a good question. I um, I like um, just how it's not really a feature, but I like the diversity of the um, sort of the moves and, and attacks and stuff of the different characters. I think we, you know, the team did a really good job of. Uh, sort of emphasizing the characteristics of the personalities of the characters and their moves and also their abilities. So, you know, Amy, um, she's very graceful in everything that she does. Um, she's the one that can go on balance beams. She's the only one that has a triple jump, unlike the other characters only have double jump. Um, and she has, so she has that gracefulness in everything that she does. And then she has this giant hammer, which is great for clearing out enemies, right? And so if you're surrounded by enemies or your friends are surrounded by enemies, you can go in with a hammer and just like wail on people. And I like that sort of that balance of gracefulness and sort of power. Um, so that personality comes across. Of course, Sonic has his spin dash, you know, his homing attacks and things like that. And so speed stuff is still there. He's very quick in his attacks. He's very quick in his movements. Um, but um, 
he doesn't cause that much damage. And so he has to hit enemies and do things a lot more times in order to impact it. Um, so that really sells his whole thing about just quickly doing stuff, but not being super powerful. Knuckles, of course, is um, is slower, um, but he takes far less hits. So if you're talking about combat in general, right, to, for a base enemy, Sonic may take like five, six hits, whereas Knuckles may take two or three. Um, however, Knuckles is slower because of his size, and so there are some enemies who could just basically um, strafe around him or strafe away from him, and so he can't he can't reach them very easily. Hmm. Um, so it's that nice it's that nice balance. And then of course Tails, like I said earlier, is mostly ranged based um, attacks, but he also has this uh, guy called a Buddy Bot, this little robot that he carries around with him, and he can pull that out. And he can use it in combat. He'll go, you know, he can send it out and attack enemies. Or um, he can use it to sort of in the game levels to sort of hack stuff and sort of um, maybe like destroy consoles and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of, again, caters to the whole tinkering fixer kind of thing that he can build this little buddy bot for use. Um, so I think, you know, my favorite aspect of the game is, is that I think we did a good job and the teams did a good job of like really capturing the essence of the characters and kind of showing that in their sort of their on-screen abilities um so that's an aspect that i really love i also love the whole component now of being able to kind of go through this is specifically for the wii u but kind of going through the experience with two players like parents and kids or siblings or friends can sort of for the first time really go through this adventure experience and explore this world together at the same time um, and I think that's kind of an exciting and new thing that Sonic hasn't really had. Um, it's mostly been sort of that single-player experience for the most part, aside from, you know, races and stuff like that. Um, so I think that those two things, the diversity and the character abilities and their personalities, along with the ability to, to, for the first time, really kind of go play through the game with two screens and kind of live the adventure together, um, those are probably two favorite things of mine. Yeah, awesome. So we just uh, got the tweet from anime, at Anime Asa, Uh, asking, will Amy still have her crush on Sonic? And will Tails get a love interest? <laughs> <laughs> Lady Gaga, um, Yeah, Lady, everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna like Lady Gaga. We'll just get, I have to, we have to, Lady Gaga, if you're listening to this, uh, contact <laughs> us. Uh, yes. I want to talk to you about this. Um, Everyone just tweet Sega uh, and yeah, exactly. send a message on Facebook to include Lady Gaga on the game. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, um, We're trying not to, I mean, from the game perspective, we're trying to focus more on them coming together as a team. So you may see some tender moments between the, the characters and stuff like that, um, for sure. But it's, it's more about the individual characters kind of coming together and becoming stronger as a team. I think where you'll see more of that sort of exploration, if, if it happens, is in the cartoon. Um, You know, I think you yeah. see a lot more of that humorous and sort of that personality um, exchange um, in the cartoon episodes. Whereas our task, I think, for the uh, the Wii U and 3DS game is to sort of take the the characters from being sort of individuals and, and sort of having issues with each other and bring them close together to get, uh, as friends. Um, and I think that's what you're mostly going to see the focus on uh, in the games be. Okay. Yeah, so we have uh, one last question by uh, someone on Twitter, at ShadowWolves07. Uh, I, li I love this. this <laughs> at ShadowWolves07. Uh, <laughs> asks, any Chow Gardens? Um, no, unfortunately, <laughs> no. We, um, you know, we had thought about it at one point. I will say that I thought about it quite a bit. Um, and... Um, 
the idea of doing a chow garden or something that would include the chow and even ideas of like what would the chow be like in the Sonic Boom world. Um, oh. But, uh, but uh, you know, like we explored a lot of things during the, the making of this game. But unfortunately, it just wasn't a, a large focus um, for us. We wanted to focus on sort of the, uh, the teamwork and the co-op and a lot of other things. And so it just didn't make it this time around. Um, but I know uh, that Chow Gardens uh, is, a, is a fan sort of favorite thing. Um, I like them myself in some degree. So maybe hopefully you'll see them in the future at some point in some incarnation. Um, but unfortunately, you're not going to be able to see them in these uh, initial Sonic Boom games. Okay, so maybe uh, Lady Gaga Chow in Sonic yeah. Boom 2. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, last question. Before, uh, because we're uh, running a bit late, you need to go. So, from your perspective, apart from it being a Sonic game, of course, what will make people want to play Sonic Boom, both the Wii U and the 3DS version? Sure. Um, I think that what we've we've tried to do is um, uh, provide a nice variety of gameplay and different things for different people. You know, so um, you know, for for uh, speaking of just like traditional people, not necessarily Sonic fans in general, we have sort of that um, adventure exploration kind of team-based co-op experience that you can play in the Wii U, and I think that's really you know the the sort of the classic adventure game. Um, you don't see that much very anymore, you know? Um, there are a lot of them, like, uh, back in the day in the uh, PS2 era, the Jack and Daxters, Ratchet and Clanks, things like that, but they've kind of gone away to a degree, and there's still a large number of people who love them. I love them. It's that character-driven action game, and um, I think we're, we're capturing that. Um, but we're sort of, like, adding on to it by allowing two people to kind of go through that journey together but with separate screens so you're not locked to the sc same screen now in a lot of other games um so we have i think that that large-scale world large-scale levels um sort of that cinematic experience the the um the adventure aspect in the wii u and then i think in the 3ds um you we capture that as well but i think you have that easier to pick up um, sort of portable experience. It's it's sort of faster paced overall. It still has the exploration of the four characters, but um, because it's handheld and we want to get people into it quickly, um, you know, it's it's a sort of a, a faster paced sort of experience um, while still utilizing uh, a lot of the uh, mechanics such as the inner beam that you see in the Wii U and that you see in the cartoon um, as well. So you know, if you like that larger scale adventure kind of experience there's the Wii U if you like sort of that faster paced um, you know I don't know if arcade is a word but uh, it was the best word to describe it but that pick up and play fun instant fun and gratification for you know 15 minutes at a time then the 3DS game is there for you and both of these build upon the story and the character so if you really love the characters or you love lyric or you know um, you love how uh, you know sticks and things like that then um Hopefully you'll play both of them because um, through playing both of them and also watching the cartoon, you'll get to see a lot more of this world and a lot more of how the characters interact and, and grow together. Awesome, awesome. And the 3DS uh, version also has Street Pass functionality, right? Yes, it has um, Street Pass and we also have um, a connectivity between the 3DS and the Wii U, so your progress in the 3DS game, um, the further you get, um, you accomplish certain things. Um, when you local uh, connect to your um, Wii U, it'll unlock uh, certain things in the Wii U game. Awesome, awesome. Really nice. So thanks, Stephen, for uh, querying, 
clearly clearing uh, sorry clearing no some uh, stuff about the the Sonic Boom games. Uh, we're uh, really looking forward to the, to the release of both games. So uh, is it November? Uh, yes, uh, November uh, for both games, and also the cartoon launches uh, this year for the 2014-2015 season um, and the toys. So obviously, hopefully, all of them will be hitting around the same time, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, people enjoy it as much as we enjoy making it. There's a lot of great things about the cartoon, a lot of great things about the games and the toys. So uh, there's definitely a lot there to love. Awesome, awesome. Thanks for that. So now. It's time to uh, for us to to find out if Stephen Frost, producer of Sonic Boom, is um, is the right man for the job actually. Because does oh, he know no. his Sonic TV shows? Oh does gosh! He know, does he know uh, the <laughs> Sega Saturn? <laughs> Just like he says he does. Hmm. Let's see. So we have um, six questions for you, Stephen. We have. Uh, three questions based on the Sonic TV series and three questions uh, regarding the Sega Saturn. So, okay. Do you want to pick uh, which ones you'd like to answer first? Saturn uh, or Sonic? Let's do, the, let's do the Saturn. The cartoon stuff, I'm a little iffy on. Let's try to do the Saturn stuff and maybe I'll start out well, but uh, <laughs> I, I, need Aaron, I need Aaron Weber here as my uh, cohort on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's see. So, question number one. Sega fans will forever remember Segata Sanshiro, a man who punished anyone who didn't play a Saturn set. The question, question is, what is the what name, is the name, of, name the of the actor that played Segata Sanshiro? Option A. Option A. Hiroshi Fujioka. Option B. Fujichi Iroka. Or option option C, uh, I think this is the one. Aaron Weber. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is so yeah no. Uh, Aaron Weber dressed in a gi would be awesome. Um, <laughs> but if I recall correctly, it's Fujioka San uh, who played him, uh, Hiroshi Fujioka. Okay, that so right? that's your final answer. Uh, let me think here. Uh, yes, that would be my final answer. Okay, so you're right. Yay, that's one question I get right. The rest will get wrong. Yeah, it would have an awesome <laughs> sound effect and everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so question number two. This was too easy, I think. Okay, question number two. One of the most acclaimed games released for the Saturn was Nights into Dreams. What were the names of the two children also known as dreamers in the game. Option A. Bob Sinclair and Elliot Reed. Bob Sinclair? Sinclair, yes. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, option B. Clarice Sinclair and Elliot Edwards. Or option C. Cal Clarice Edwards and Elliot Sinclair. Oh my goodness. Uh, now, yeah, I know. Um, let me see. Um, let's see. What was. Gosh, it's been a while now. I'm trying, this should be easy so for me, but now. Do you want me to read the, the options again? Yes, please do. So, option A Bob Sinclair and Elliot Reed. Yeah, no, option I know B, the boys there. Yeah, okay. O option B Clarice Sinclair and Elliot Edwards. Or yeah. option C, Clarice Edwards and Elliot Sinclair. 
I'm gonna go off my hunch thing, which I recall this because these are all things very close. But I think it's uh, Elliot Edwards and Clara Sinclair. Is that your final answer? Yes. Are you sure? Uh, that's from my memory. That is what it is. I should have done this harder. <laughs> You're correct. Yay! <laughs> so, yay! Yay! <laughs> Question number three. So you say you're a big Virtual Fighter fan, right? I am. Let's see how much. In Virtual Fighter Kids, a game released on the Saturday in the arcades, yes. a variation of Dural featured her with an with what object for a head? Option A, a rocket launcher. Option B, a fishbowl. Option C, Metal Sonic's head. Um. That is a good question, and I oh, I believe it was the fish heads, the fish bowl. Is that B? That's B. Yes, I will say B. Final answer: fish bowl head. And you're correct. Yes, yeah. the man knows his Saturn stuff. So <laughs> let's give it up for Stephen Frost. But but you still need to answer the Sonic TV series questions. Oh, this is where it's horrible. This is gonna my memory is gonna be terrible on this. <laughs> it's not that horrible, but let's let's see. So, uh, question number one: TV show Sonic the Hedgehog featured Jaleel White as the voice of Sonic. However, a different voice actor was used to voice Young Sonic. Who was it? Option A: Jim Cummings. Option B: Justin Bieber. Option C, Taj Mori. Oh, um, so option is... A, Jim Cummings. Option B, which I like very much, Justin Bieber. And option C, Taj Mori. Um, let's see. Let me see. Let me think here. I say. Let me think about. It. I think. Um, because the name wasn't really sound familiar. I would. I can't remember the rest of the name. I think it's the Taj, Taj Mori actor. Okay. Yes, Mori. Mori's last name. Yes. 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 Well, this man is a machine. That's correct. Yes. That's I only, the, the I, correct answer. <laughs> yeah, I only remember that actually uh, voiced Eggman or Robotnik. Oh, yeah. So that's the, uh, why the only reason it's I familiar. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I just remember that the names were sort of interesting with Taj and Jaleel, so I, that's how I how oh, I sort of remember okay. it. <laughs> okay, yeah, and Justin Bieber wasn't in Sonic. Of course, Sonic. of course, of course. No, but uh, that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Of course, of course, and Lady Gaga would join him. Uh, question number two on episode Love Seek Sonic of Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. The Blue Hedgehog warns about sexual harassment during the usual Sonic Says segment, right? This is a well-known fact. In Sonic's words, that's no good. However, he starts by saying, there's nothing more cool than... So there's nothing more cool than option A, being hugged by someone you like. Option B, playing first-person shooters with random kids on the internet. <laughs> or option C, having a party with all your friends. 
Hmm. That's a tough. This one I do not know. Um, let's see. Would he get a hug or party? Yeah, I know. Well, it's yeah. The FBI. Um. I'm going to say not hug. It seems, I'm going to say see party with your friends. This one I'm absolutely guessing because I cannot remember this. So I'm just going to say see party with your friends. Okay. And it's not that. Uh, yeah, that's the, the wrong answer. It's being hugged by someone you like, actually. See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect him to say that, actually. That's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's why said, I... He starts by saying, there's nothing more cool than being hugged by someone you like. But when someone touches you in... Uh, oh yeah. Sub- okay. Something something that's no good. Oh okay, that yeah, makes sense that now. Makes that sense. makes sense. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Got okay, it. Okay. Yes, so I got Stephen Frost on one of the questions. Uh number 3. In Sonic Underground, Sonic and his brothers are uh, try to find their mother. What was her name? Option A. Queen Latifah. <laughs> <laughs> Option B. Queen Sonia. Option C, Queen Alina. Um, that one I am pretty sure. Sh- I can't remember his mother, but it's I'm pretty sure it's a character in there, which is uh, Queen Alina. Yes, yes, that's right. Because Sonia was her sister, and Queen Latifah was also not in this TV show again. So again. we need a show with Justin Bieber, Queen Latifah, and. Uh, with Lady Gaga, and that yes. would be a huge and Aaron success. Aaron Webber as Sekata Yes. See, I think it's writing itself. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So, Sonic Boom fans, stay tuned for <laughs> another uh, Sonic <laughs> Boom game with all these celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, apparently, yes, uh, Stephen Frost is the man for the job, um, <laughs> and he and he clearly um, nailed this. So, yeah, awesome, awesome. <laughs> Yay, I got some yeah. right. Okay, so one final question for you, Stephen, and I'll let you go. Uh, we ask this question for, uh, uh, or uh, to, have, to all our guests. Our guests. Uh, if you could add blast processing to anything in the world, what would it be and why? Wow, that is a good question. Um, I know, right? Uh, here's what this is because I love amusement parks. I would add blast processing to the lines at amusement parks in order to process people through them faster to get the rides. Because <laughs> the worst thing about amusement parks is the long lines. So if there's any way to speed that up, I would do it. So we got to integrate. I don't know what it is into the uh, the ticket system or something. We got to integrate blast processing to get those lines moving quicker. Awesome answer, awesome answer. Yeah. So okay, <laughs> Stephen, uh, thanks very much for um, granting us the time to do this interview with you, and for being on the Sega Lounge on Radio Sega. And we hope you'll uh, be with us again in the future. Oh yeah, I, I'd love to. It was great talking with you. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with me as well. Um, you know, excited to be able to share more stuff about Sonic Boom in the future. So definitely. Uh, stay tuned, everyone, and uh, hopefully I'll get another chance to come on and share even more information uh, in the near future. Awesome. That'll be great. So, okay. Thanks one more one more time for your time. Uh, and we'll just wrap things up on the Sega Lounge now. Okay, people. So that was our interview with Stephen Frost, producer of Sonic Boom. I hope you enjoyed it uh, at least as much as I enjoyed interviewing the man. 
uh, and it was yeah some really interesting um, information uh, about the upcoming game and the upcoming TV show Sonic Boom Boom yes okay so we're now uh, entering the final stage or the final minutes of the Sega Lounge it's time for the segment we call uh, After Hours <laughs> when we discuss upcoming shows uh, on Radio Sega for example so let's see what we have next in uh, less than two hours time we should have uh, RSN Live with voice on Radio Sega so at midnight BST that's um, yeah, that's all the other time zones that you can look up if you go to radiosega.net and click the show the hmm? I don't even know my website anymore. <laughs> is it isn't it chosen podcasts? Uh, yes, it is. So if you click the shows and podcasts button uh, and click, uh, then click on uh, show schedules, you'll uh, have all the info for RSN Live. Yes, so that's RSN Live with Voice uh, coming up in a bit on Radio Sega. Then tomorrow at 9pm BST, Rexy will be back with Sega Mixer Drive, two hours of Sega remixes dedicated to Sonic this week because it's almost time for Sonic's birthday. Uh, on Saturday, uh, Shadow Remix will be back with Late 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 Afternoon Breakfast Show. Yes, so the first uh, labs after uh, Sonic Revolution, so I think we should expect some um, Sonic Revolution uh, chat of sorts I don't know, maybe Okay, so that's at 4pm BST on Radio Sega and finally uh, on Sunday Glitch with Gavi is back at 10pm uh, BST this this uh, week uh, it's a special I think it will be dedicated to Sonic as well but I'm not sure so if you want to find out just tune in to Radio Sega on Sunday at 10 p.m. BST for another episode of Glitch. After a long hiatus, uh, Gavi will be back to help you embrace the weird. Yeah, so that's all the shows we have this week. And next Monday, or Monday, uh, it's the 23rd of June, Sonic's birthday. Uh, Sonic's 23rd on the 23rd, yes. And so that means we'll have a very special edition of Radio Sega's Top 40 Countdown dedicated to the Sonic Zone Remix competition, uh, an OC, OC Remix competition focused on um, uh, zones or levels from Sonic games. Yes, we'll uh, have we'll play the 40 most voted tracks from uh, the polls we put up uh, in the past few weeks regarding both uh, editions of the Sonic Zone Remix competition. If you haven't voted yet, just go to radiosega.net and on the main webpage uh, you just have to scroll down and find um, a blog post for Radio Sega's Top 40 Countdown and the blog post is called Sonic's 23rd on the 23rd Road to the Special and if you click that you'll find a link to all 40 tracks and to the poll to vote for your top 20 of uh, the 40 most voted tracks from both Sonic Zone Remix competition editions. That's right. So that's 8 p.m. BST on Monday. Radio Sega Top 40 Countdown, the Sonic Zone Remix competition edition. And also, don't forget to tune in to Radio Sega uh, all day long on Monday to listen to uh, all the birthday messages for Sonic and all the interesting stuff, including some. Uh, 
very special messages from people at SEGA, perhaps, who knows, you'll just have to tune in to Radio SEGA all day long uh, on Monday, the 23rd of June for that. On other uh, news, on other related shows, Donnie's uh, Sonic News Show will be airing this Sunday um, at eight at 6 p.m. Uh, sorry, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 11 p.m. BST. So don't forget to go to Sonic Paradox and find the link to the Sonic News Show with Donnie. Donnie, yes. Of course, um, we should be back. Um, next week with more the Sega Lounge but unfortunately due to other commitments we won't be airing we won't be having an edition of the Sega Lounge next week we will be back however with a very special guest the week after on the 3rd of July we'll be having uh, an awesome conversation with special guest special musical guest Bentley Jones yes so Bentley Jones is the next special guest of the Sega Lounge um, on RadioSega.net so don't forget to tune in to uh, our show on Thursday the 3rd of July 8pm BST that you can uh, check out if you go to RadioSega.net of course we still have one final track to um, play to you and so since Steven uh, asked us to play some Sonic Adventure tracks I thought to myself why not uh, play a track from the Sonic Adventure Remix album. Hmm. So, to wrap things up on the Sega Lounge this week, and as a way to thank Steven Frost for being an awesome guest, a way of, uh, uh, of um, thanking you all for tuning in to Radio Sega for this week's episode of the Sega Lounge, I'll leave you all with Believe in Myself, the Transmutator Remix from Sonic Adventure Remix. I've been KC, this has been the SEGA Lounge. I'll be back on the 3rd of July with Donnie and Bentley Jones. Bye bye
eight different guests, Sega music, news, and whatever else we can think of. The Sega Lounge, only on Radio Sega. Adding some blast processing to your day. This is Radio Sega, playing the best Sega music 24-7. 